Hey, uh, glad you're here. It's a joy to celebrate who God is, what he's done for us together. Um, this week, in preparation for Father's Day, my wife did something to make sure I was going to earn Father's Day, and she left me for two days with the kids by myself. And so, um, no, she was helping a, a friend and used to be a neighbor of ours uh, drive to, to Reno for a trip, Lake Tahoe, one of those. And then uh, she flew back to come back and be home with us. So I had the boys, three boys, by myself for two days. And naturally what we did is we ate a lot of fast food and watched a lot of movies um, because I'm winning at this dad life. So one of the nights, we, they stayed up a little late with me and we watched Thor Ragnarok because my kids are way into superheroes right now. And hey, if you haven't seen it, like it's been out for a while, okay? And I don't think I'm gonna spoil anything for you right now anyway. But one of the main lessons that Thor needs to learn in that, that he hears from his dad and later from a friend, is that Asgard, the, the place he's from, that he's trying to protect, the whole movie's about him trying to protect Asgard, and he learns this lesson, Asgard is not a place, it's a people. And so Liam, my five-year-old, looks at me and goes, Daddy, that's like the church. And I was like, really? Tell me about it. He goes, yeah, the church is the people. It's not the place. It's not the building that we go to. And I was like, man, that's so good. Like, I just want to encourage us in that. The church is the people of God that God has called to himself and has made his family and called us his children that we get to become brothers and sisters because of Jesus. And so how fitting that as we are continuing to look into the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, that when Jesus' disciples, his followers, ask him, hey, Jesus, how, how do we pray? Can you teach us how to pray? And these are people who have been brought up believing in this God their entire lives and, and learning how to pray. And they're saying, can you still teach us how to pray? And so I want to encourage you, like, if you don't feel like you know how to pray, that's okay. These guys walked in it their whole lives, and they're still asking, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so uh, just ask Jesus to teach you, right? And so they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray, and he starts with our Father. And really that word is our dad, our daddy. I was hanging out with some family last night, and my brother said, hey, are you doing uh, like a Father's Day teaching tomorrow? And I was like, well, kind of, because we're talking about the Father. And in everything following in that prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray it is in light of who we are addressing, our Father. We come to him as his children because of the work of Jesus. And because of that, everything else that we pray in this prayer can be and will be because he's a good dad. So keep that in mind as we come to the verse we're going to rest on this morning, which is a difficult verse, right? But it's in Matthew 6, and we're going to pick up in verse 9. And just like we've been doing throughout this time, we're going to stand together if you're able to. And we're going to pray this prayer together. Doug's laughing when I say if you're able to stand. You can do it. I've seen it, buddy. <laughs> we're going to pray together the prayer that Jesus teaches his people to pray. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Jesus says, pray then like this, join me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. So I do have this fancy whiteboard up here. You can be seated, by the way. Um, I know Wade normally draws it on the iPad, and if the magic of technology, it shows up on that screen, but um, for some reason, it never seems to work out for me when I try that. Like, my iPad doesn't sync well, or I have a pretty crummy stylus that doesn't draw very well for me. And so, I like to think of myself as a pretty tech-savvy person, but I'm going to be using good old-fashioned whiteboard markers, dry erase today. Uh, I've got a couple things to go on. So, hopefully you guys can all see this. And there's not a lot of heads in front of you, so I'm sure you can. We'll be okay. But we're focusing this morning on that verse, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus is telling us when you pray to the Father, to God, the creator of all things, to ask him, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pope Francis recently started vying for the option of changing the way that that verse is worded. Because, he said, this is going to be confusing to people. People are going to start thinking that if you don't, like, say these words, God could lead you into temptation. And God doesn't tempt us. And so, therefore, this is bad theology. It must have been translated incorrectly. We need to fix it. And I think the Italian... Uh, bishops got together and agreed we're going to reword this a little bit. Uh, in Germany so far, they said, no, we're keeping the original. And so there's, there's a lot of debate going on about this right now. But Pope Francis is struggling with this idea. Wait a second. Why would Jesus teach us to pray that God would not lead us to temptation? Because that's not something God would do, is it? And so I want to know what you guys think. Let's, let's weigh in on this, and maybe we can advise the Pope a little bit, if you guys have something good to say. Does God ever lead anyone to temptation? What do you think? What was that? James says he doesn't. You're both reading my notes, aren't you? We're going to get to both of those. <laughs> yeah, in James, so in fact, let's, let's go there right now. What you're referencing is in James 1. And James 1, verse 13. Thank you. See, you guys did read notes. Yeah, James 1, 13. Let no one say when he is tempted... I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Okay, point one for the Vatican, Pope Francis, right? Like, God doesn't tempt people. It's not in his nature. It's not in his character. He's not tempted by evil himself. He always does what is good, right, and perfect. So how could he then tempt someone else to evil? It just doesn't seem like God, does it? 
And yet Jesus is saying to pray, lead us not into temptation. But my question was, not does God tempt us, does God ever lead us to temptation? So we're reading in Matthew right now. And if we go back to Matthew and you flip two chapters back to chapter 4, verse 1. This is right after Jesus is baptized by John. And he comes up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descends upon him as like a dove. And you hear the Father's voice saying, this is my son who I love and I'm well pleased with. And it's this beautiful moment and this time breaking through into history that is saying things are going to be way different now. God himself has shown up. He's here. He's come to make his place with humanity. And he's going to fix everything. And immediately after, chapter 4, verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to what? Be tempted by the devil. Is anyone else confused? No, you, you got figured out. Okay, I'm going to try to work it out. And you can tell me if I'm right or not, okay? Because on one hand, we see that God tempts no one. And on the other hand, we see the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, leading Jesus, the Son of God, to the wilderness for the sole purpose of being tempted by the devil. So here's the question. Who was doing the tempting? Satan says to be tempted by the devil, right? That's the enemy. That is the one who is trying to deceive us away from God's ways and his words to believe a different way, a different word, to follow a different path. He's the one doing the tempting. Who was the one doing the leading? The spirit. Who's ultimately in control in this scenario? God is, right? The Father who just spoke, this is my Son, whom I'm well pleased, who sent the Son to be with us. The Spirit who is empowering and leading Jesus. Jesus himself who overcomes all the temptations of the devil through the word of God. And so there's this idea here that there's a lot going on. There's... There's this test that the Spirit is leading Jesus into, knowing that the devil's going to show up and use that test as an opportunity to tempt Jesus. And so we see that God can tempt no one, and yet God will sometimes lead us in ways, in routes, in paths where temptation will occur. And what do we do with that? Interesting thing here is we see in this prayer, lead us not into, into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is that Jesus is recognizing that there is this evil and wickedness in this world outside of us that we need to be delivered from, but that there's also this wickedness within each and every single one of our own hearts that we need to be saved from. And so I want to draw you a picture here, and many of you have seen this. But when we think about sin in the world, when we think about sin in the world, what do you normally think of? 
go ahead and say it out loud. What do you think of when you think of sin? What is sin? Lies? Yeah? What is it? Doing things against God, against his ways, his nature. Yeah? Believing those lies leads to that. Oftentimes, we think of sin as this thing that I need to deal with because I keep doing the things I don't want to do, as Paul says, and the things that I want to do, I don't do those things. I know what's right. I know what's wrong. I keep doing what's wrong. And so we have a sin problem here of ourself, right? But there's something else at work here too because Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by who? Yeah, the devil or Satan. Yeah, is that hard to see? Let's see if red is any better. For, yeah, we're talking about sin. Should have started with red. Okay. Boom. Let me redraw these circles. It's getting really messy now. So Satan will tempt us. We fall into that sin, and here's what's terrible, is that in partnership, we create systems in this world that keep us in sin. Because we believe lies from the enemy, we have created systems, and this is what you see in Scripture a lot of times as the the power and principalities, or world is often used, but it's talking about systems in place, systematic issues that keep us in this habitual sin. So just a, a, one prime example is the clothes that we buy are often stitched together by people who are forced to work in sweatshops and very underpaid. Children at times. And it's almost impossible for you to buy clothes without feeding into that system. And you have to wear clothes because you can't sit here naked. We won't allow it, right? And the reason why we all have to wear clothes is because of the sin that was first brought into this world because before that we were all naked and unashamed. So that's one example. There's this system of sin that operates in our world that it's nearly impossible for us to break out of as individuals or as the church. This threefold sin right here of Satan, systems, and ourself has plagued all of creation. And if you doubt this, like, no, I, listen, I, I once was a sinner, but God and I, like, figured it out together and I don't feed into this anymore, and I never believe the lies of this anymore, then I just want to look back at James with you for a second. And in James, remember we taught through James recently. This one is in James. Okay, here we go, 14. Each person is tempted, James chapter 1, verse 14. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. 
Not when he's lured and enticed by the devil and can't overcome the devil because the devil's too powerful for that person. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So this prayer that Jesus is teaching us is not necessarily a prayer saying that God's going to tempt you unless you say these magic words, God lead us not into temptation, and then, okay, good, we're in the clear. God's going to lead us a different direction. There's option B. We're going to be okay. No, this prayer is recognizing that there are forces of wickedness in this world, both outside of us and within us, and that we need God to do something about it. This prayer is recognizing the nature and character of sin, both within us and in the world, but it's also recognizing the nature and character of God, that he is a good dad who has come to rescue you out of this evilness, to deliver us from evil. If we look at that prayer in its entirety, we see that this is what's happening all the way through, right? Let's, I'm going to read it to you again, Matthew 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We said that word hallowed means to be revered, to be made holy, to be given glory to. Guess what? God doesn't need you to ask for that to happen. He's going to make it happen. Right? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God doesn't need us to give him permission for that or to pray for it to happen. His kingdom is going to reign forever. Right? Do you see the pattern going on here? Give us this day our daily bread. We're, we're recognizing things that are already within God's character and nature and things that God is already at work doing. God provides for his people as a good father who cares for his children. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. God has done this already through his son, Jesus. He's forgiven us. All those who call on Jesus' name are forgiven their debts, their sins, their rebellion against God, choosing to believe in lies instead of the truth. And so similarly, if we keep following this pattern, what we see is Jesus is just teaching us to continue to pray what is in line with God's character and nature. Lead us not into temptation because we know that that's not what you want for us. Help us to know the truth that when we come into situations where we would be tempted with lies, that we would believe you over the words of another and deliver us from the presence of evil and wickedness in this world. And so we get this idea. Can you guys see green? Does that work? Yeah. Okay. So this is the world that has been plagued by sin. Satan systems and structures and ourself. And we, we get this idea in our heads that for God to come through on this prayer to deliver us from evil, like one day he's going to come in and pluck us out and remove us and bring us to this place in the sky where we'll float on clouds and play harps and have wings and wear diapers. Deliver us from evil. Take us out of this place. This world is not my home. Bring us to a new home, right? But this idea of delivering us from evil, I want to break it to all of us. Like, it's actually not seen anywhere in Scripture. 
Not that God would come and remove us from this world, but that God would come and restore what has been made broken in this world. That God cannot be beaten by sin. And so if God makes this world to be beautiful and good in creation, and sin comes in and hijacks his creation from him, do you think God's going to go, oh, well, I better just go start over here somewhere else now? No, God is a pursuing God who you and I, when we've rebelled against him and been hijacked by our own sin and our own desires and our own entice, enticement and temptation, God comes and pursues you and restores you back into relationship with him, and he's doing the same thing with all of his creation. And so, deliver us from evil means God is going to come. Instead of pulling us away, God himself will come into this mess, into this brokenness, and start restoring what has been made wrong. Amen? That's good news. That's the gospel. That's the kingdom Jesus is talking about. This kingdom will no longer reign, but my kingdom will come in. And this has been the story all along from the very beginning. This little dance right here of our own desires falling prey to the lies of the enemy to build a system of injustice and oppression and sin and wickedness, that's been going on since that first moment in the garden. When God creates a good, perfect world and everything belongs to him and yet he says to his creature, humanity, I want you as my representatives to take good care of this and to show the rest of creation what I'm like as you take good care of it and as you delight in it and as you point it all back to me. But there's one thing I'm asking of you. Just one thing. This one tree... Do not eat the fruit that grows from it. That's the one thing off limits from you. All else, you have free reign. And so what happens is, the serpent comes in, Satan, and he starts telling lies, and he starts trying to manipulate and deceive humanity, right? But if we were to read in Genesis 3, what it tells us is that because they saw that the fruit was pleasant to the eyes and desirable, what did James say? Each person is tempted when lured and enticed by their own desires. Because the man and the woman desired that, they chose to believe that lie over God's word. And so, as James tells us, it knows clearly, is that once you give in to that sin, that once you give them that desire, it gives birth to sin, which in turn will lead you to death. Just as God promised, if you eat from this, you will die. So here's the thing. When I go into a grocery store with my kids, as a good dad, that's why I'm being celebrated today on Father's Day. I'm a good dad, and so when I take them into the store, I don't take my three boys purposely down the candy aisle, grab a bag of Reese's Pieces, dangle it in their face, and go, I dare you not to throw a fit. You can't have this. Right? Like, that would be cruel. I would be tempting them on purpose. That's not what a good parent does. But a good parent will take their kids into the grocery store 
to get the ingredients that they need to cook a healthy meal, to share dinner together as a family that evening. And sometimes to get to the kale, you got to pass by the candy aisle, right? I don't eat kale. That was just an analogy. (laughs) And so what happens is this candy aisle exists in this grocery store. There's nothing I could do about it, right? But to get my kids to go to the grocery store, to get the stuff we need as a family, I know we're going to pass by it, and I know they're going to see it, and I know they're going to be tempted, and I know that they're going to ask me for it. And so how do I prepare them for that test so that they won't be tempted to throw a fit and want to just take what they can get and not listen to me? And this is what God does. This is what this prayer is asking. God, prepare us, equip us, that when the tests and the trials come in life, we would be able to stand and not fall prey to the temptation that the devil and our own wicked hearts are trying to entice us and deceive us into. When a kid in school has a test that they have not prepared for, there's a temptation to look over at little Susie's paper so that you can pass the test. But if that student has been well-prepared and well-equipped and studied for that test, then they will be able to pass the test and reap the benefits of that grade. Do you see how this works? And so we come to the beginning of that story where there is this tree in the middle of the garden where God says, this isn't for you. All of it belongs to me, and I'm letting you have free reign except for this, do not eat the fruit from this one tree. There's a test there. God will test us. But he himself did not do the tempting, right? The spirit led Jesus into the wilderness for a reason, to be tested so that Jesus, who was well prepared for the test, could conquer it and accomplish it on our behalf. And Satan sees that opportunity to tempt him because if he could tempt the Savior to become a sinner, then we are all stuck in our sin. And thank God that Jesus was well-equipped and well-prepared for the test. And so we, we went through the story of God recently where we had some people in the living room and we shared the story of the Bible. And we kept coming back to this conversation, but why would God even put that tree there in the first place, Right? Like my grocery store analogy, I can't control there's a candy aisle there, but God, he made all things. Why is that tree there? And listen, I'm not God. I'm not going to read into the text something that is not there and make up a solution. But here's what I do know. The answer to that question largely depends on how we view this world. Is it a world that belongs to God or one that belongs to us? Because I don't store kitchen knives under my kids' pillows where they sleep at night, right? If I think about that way, like, no, that's tempting for them to play with something very dangerous. I don't store my kitchen knives in my kids' bedroom. But there are kitchen knives in my house. There are kitchen knives in my kitchen. And those kitchen knives are used and meant for a purpose to help prepare food for them. They know not to touch those. They're not for them, even though it's within their house, because it belongs to me. 
do we hear that story of the garden and picture the garden as like, well, this is humanity's bedroom. This is their playground. Why would God put something there that's not for them and tempt them that way? No, no, no. This world belongs to God. From the beginning, it was meant that God would be there with his people. He would come and walk with them and talk with them. All of it was his. And there was a purpose for that tree to be there, but he's saying, will you trust me that it's not for you? This is for me. I'm to know the difference between right and wrong. And I'm to tell you what that is. Will you trust me in that? And then the temptation comes in saying, wait a second, you're holding out on me. Why aren't you giving this to me too? I, I deserve to have this. I want more. Who are you to keep this from me? That temptation comes in and we failed the test, right? We failed it. So Jesus steps into this mess and he goes to be tested just like us. And Jesus fully God and yet in the form of fully human, passes the test that humanity failed. Where we were in the garden, tempted to eat when we had all other good things and we still failed. Jesus goes into the wilderness where he's got nothing and he's hungry and he's starving and he still does not give in to temptation. Jesus is the true and better humanity who lives out what it is meant to be for humans to reflect God the creator to the rest of creation. And so Jesus is teaching us to pray, make us like that true humanity too. Lead us away from that temptation that we would pass the test, that we would be able to stand firm until that one day when you finally come and rescue us, deliver us, from this evil and wickedness. I was in high school, I was a wrestler, and we used to wear these shirts that said things like, pain is just weakness leaving the body, and other silly sayings like that. But the idea was, like wrestling is tough, like we would work out really hard in a 110 degree room, and you're sweating a ton, and you can't eat Cheerios or drink soda, you had to eat kale, and you're doing all this stuff to push your body to the limits, and it hurts. And the idea was saying, yes, that's what training is. We're preparing you and refining you for the big match. And it makes me think about in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, verse 6 says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There are hard moments in life, things that will test us that are meant to refine us, like gold being refined by fire to melt out the impurities, meant to prepare us to be this true humanity that when 
the deliverer comes to rescue us and deliver us from evil, we wouldn't be found as part of that evil that would have to be judged and dealt with. But that through Jesus and his work and through our trust in him, this is what the testing is for, to learn how to trust in him more, that we would be refined, that we would be made to look more like this humanity that God designed from the beginning to show and tell what he is like to all of creation. And so when your car breaks down, when you lose your job, when a loved one gets sick, when your kids are throwing rocks through windows, when your neighbor's tree has grown over your yard, you are being tested. And in that moment, you can try to withstand that test on your own strength and, like James says, be enticed by your own desires and end up being tempted. Or you could turn to the one who has stood through the test and has stood victoriously. And you can call on him to help you and deliver you from evil. I'm going to draw one more picture for us. This one takes a little more artwork, skill, so bear with me. We have a son here in two trees. I know I should win an award. One tree is growing lush leaves, and it looks great, and it's healthy. And another tree is weak and dying. It's not producing any fruit. The same sun is shining its light and warmth on both. One tree is being nourished by the sun, and it's growing healthier and stronger more vitality. And the other tree, the sun is scorching down on it and drying it up, and it's withering away. And how can the same tree mean two different things to two different, I'm sorry, the same sun to two different trees? Because one tree is deeply rooted in good, rich, nourishing soil. It is watered well so that when the sun comes, it is actually producing more fruit in it. While the other tree, maybe the roots are damaged, maybe the soil is bad, it's not getting enough water. And so when the sun comes, it's a scorching heat to it. This is like circumstances in our lives. When stuff comes in our lives that we're not prepared for, we're not ready to handle it, we're not deeply rooted in the word of God, and we're not being nourished by the living water, Christ himself, we're not trusting in the Holy Spirit, this is what those circumstances do to us. They lead us to temptation, which leads us to sin, which leads us to death. But when we're firmly planted in the word of God, when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, being nourished and fed by the bread of life and the living water, Jesus, when we're trusting in him, those circumstances come and they refine us and they make us stronger. 
And they teach us to trust in him more greatly, to have a deeper faith. So the answer here is not, the answer here is not that we need to prepare ourselves better. The answer here is, are we praying? Are we praying, God, lead us to you. Lead us to your living water. Lead us to your nourishment of your word that we would be rooted in it. Lead us to trust in you more in your ways so that when trials come, we would not be led into temptation. Jesus came and he stood the test and he prevailed. And that wasn't the only test he had going into the wilderness. The night that he was betrayed, he knew what was coming. And in the garden again, Jesus is in the garden and he's being tested. And he's praying, God, I don't want to do this. He's fully human too, as he's fully God. So in his flesh, the desires of the flesh that can lead us astray, he's saying, I don't want this. Would you take this away from me? Take this from me. I don't want it. And yet, I know that your ways are true and better. Whatever you want, that's what I'll do. And Jesus willingly is taken into custody. Jesus willingly lets himself get beat and spit on and mocked. And he goes through the most scorching heat we could imagine, the worst fiery trial you could ever picture as he's humiliated, as he's beaten, and as he's ultimately murdered. And as he is, he's praying, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The same people that he was teaching to pray, forgive us our sins and lead us away from this temptation and ultimately deliver us from evil. How beautiful is it that the one teaching us to pray, deliver us from evil, is in fact our deliverer himself. The one who did step down into the brokenness, into the evil that exists outside of us in this world, and dealt with the wickedness that exists within each of our own hearts, and took all that upon himself, and passed the test so that we could not be led into temptation. And so that one day, Jesus would return again into this world and fully deliver us from evil. Fully restore everything to what is good, right, and perfect. So we have a hope, brothers and sisters who are in Christ, that we will be delivered from evil. But until that day, we have to keep praying, God, would you help lead us to trust in you that we wouldn't give in to temptation. We're gonna sing a song in a little bit that Matt chose, and I wanna read some of the lyrics from that. The song is called Jesus is Better. And that's what we need to hold on to, that truth, when we do face temptation. When the trials come and things get difficult, or we feel low and depressed and alone, or stressed out, and we might be tempted to believe a lie and go the other way, that we remember Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life, that we would be led 
on the right path. And in the song, we'll sing this. In all of my sorrows, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. In every victory, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Than any comfort, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. More than all riches, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Our souls declaring Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Our song eternal, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Let this be our prayer, that our hearts would believe the way, the truth, the life, that we would be led by Jesus and not led into temptation. Pray with me. Father, we thank you we can come to you as your children. We can address you as Father God on Father's Day. Uh, when we celebrate earthly dads, God, may we so much more rejoice in you as the good, perfect dad who is everything we need, who loves us dearly, who pursues us when we run away, who teaches us to walk in the right ways, who rescues us from danger. You're a good dad. Thank you that you, Jesus, have come, sent by your Father to lay down your life, to pass every test that we failed, and to do it in our place and on our behalf. That we can rest in you and trust in you. And in as much as we suffer through trials and the ways that you suffered, we also remember that we get to rejoice in your glory with you. Thank you that you have not left us alone in the presence of wickedness that still exists in this world, but you promise you are with us always, even until the day you return to be physically with us because you have given us your spirit to dwell in your people. You have empowered us to be who you've called us to be. God, we pray that we would walk in that truth this day and each day that we go forward. And we ask this in the name of Jesus.